The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm Tim Foster. I've been your host for the last two episodes solo, but I'm happy to say that our regular host, Capital Weekly editor Rich Eisen, is back with us. No dental procedures, no emergency uh, call-outs today. So, Rich, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing much better, Tim. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Excellent. And then our special guest today is Roger Salazar. Roger's with Alza Strategies. He is a longtime communications expert in California. He has also worked in the White House. And many people may not know, Roger is an avid outdoorsman and a jeeper. And it drives across the Rubicon, is is going to Europe to explore Europe via Jeep. And we wanted to talk to him about the interesting intersection being a Democratic strategist, someone who has worked with Hillary Clinton, and is also out in the outdoor community, which is not known for its leftist tendencies this these days, let's say. So, so Roger, welcome. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, so, Roger. Yeah, it's great to see you again. It's, I know it's been a while. We, you know, COVID, COVID seemed to get in the way of all kinds of our personal worlds, of course. And, and so it's been a while since we've, and we're still not because we're, we're, we're not in the same place yet, but I uh, look forward to that sometime soon. But we, aside from, of course, being around the Capitol, uh, we have one thing in common, which is I am also an avid, avid outdoors person. I spent a lot of time hiking and backpacking and camping and all of that. But the one thing I have never done, though I have I've been on the Rubicon Trail on foot in various parts of it, and I've seen some of what you people are doing, and I am absolutely amazed at it most of the time because uh, it makes my heart flutter watching watching you guys drive over boulders the size of, size of houses. So I did not know this about you. This is one of those uh, bits of information that come to you late. And 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 when you know somebody, when you go, how in the world did I ever miss that nugget? So, you know, how in the world did you get into this? this I know you said this was a longtime family thing. Tell us about how you got into being a jeeper on the Rubicon Trail and beyond. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it is a, a you know, it, you 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 kind of lose um, time when your kids are growing up. So there was a period of time when my kids were in sports. Uh, you know, for you know, for most of elementary, middle school, high school, uh, where we stopped doing the off-road thing because there just wasn't time for it. Uh, but I've been doing this, uh, you know, with my my dad, uh, you know, since uh, since the '70s. Um, you know, my there's been a uh, my my dad and his brothers uh, were all avid off-roaders. They started, uh, uh, you know, jeeping uh, in in the '60s and '70s. Uh, there has been an, a Jeep in the Salazar family. Uh, continuously since at least 1948. Uh, I have a great photograph of my dad uh, in, 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 uh, as a baby in his in his mother's arms with his brothers and sisters in front of my in front of my grandfather's 1946 Willie's uh, Jeep. Uh, so and there is you know whether it's the cousins, uncles, aunts, there's been a Jeep in in this family continuously since uh, since at least that time. Uh, so you know it's something that that uh, you know that that we enjoyed doing growing up. One of the things that uh, you know, I sort of talk about, uh, you know, when uh, when I joined, uh, I'm also on the California uh, Off Highway Motor Vehicle Recreation Commission. One of the things that I talked about when I first joined that commission was 
the fact that uh, you know this was an activity that uh, that uh, you know folks who were not you know uh, did not have a lot of means uh, could enjoy and get themselves outdoors. You know, it cost you know hundred bucks or so. You know, whatever it was back in the day to to, to get into Disneyland, um, it costs you a tank of gas basically to to take your kit, your family out in the Jeep, uh, you know, to the Sierras and do your own roller coasters out there. Um, so we 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 did that uh, you know quite a bit. We were you know we camped a lot. Uh, you know, my dads and, and uncles uh, sort of really taught us sort of how to appreciate the outdoors and go out there and, and off road without wrecking, uh, you know, the the, the places that, uh, you know, that you want to continue to enjoy. Uh, so I've always sort of thought that, 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 that to myself, you know, uh, you know, this is a fun activity uh, when my after my kids uh, get out of school. Um, you know, I decided uh, uh, to get back into it uh, in earnest, uh, you know, on my own. It was something that that sort of for me gave me a little bit of pleasure and 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 recreating some of the action acti- activities that that I was I had done with my dad, uh, and uh, and really sort of uh, helped me connect with him uh, after he passed uh, in a way that uh, um, that I think no other activity could have. So I, I enjoy it quite a bit. That's awesome. You know, some some kids grew up playing catch with their father, and you grew up uh, riding in a jeep. I, I think that's awesome. You know, by what by whatever means it takes. You know, it's 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 one of those things that develops a great relationship with our with our parents. Um, that particular uh, segment of the outdoor community is not really known for being very diverse. I mean, you know, we all have images of what that community looks like. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, gun racks and, and maybe rebel flags and things like that. Now, again, that's stereotyping. Sure. Um, you tell me, what what does the makeup of the community look like? Well, I mean, I, I would say that that, that the uh, um, uh, you know, if you were to sort of take a poll of, of the political bent uh, and uh, you know of the of the community of the off road community, it would skew conservative. Uh, uh, there's no doubt about that. But uh, that said, I, it is a lot more diverse than you'd imagine. When I go out, uh, you know, again, this is this is a you know, the, all of my my cousins, aunts and uncles, uh, you know, Latinos, and uh, there was a lot of uh, of, of Mexican American uh, Californians who were out on the on the trails. I still see I see it. Uh, every time I go out there, um, you know, I even saw, uh, you know, uh, uh, Barry Bonds uh, enjoying the the off-roading community. He's got a, a Bronco Raptor and he's been uh, exploring the Mojave Desert and uh, Death Valley and uh, Alabama Hills and, you know, all sorts of places, uh, uh, you know, in, in his Jeep. Uh, so it's it's more diverse than, than one would imagine. Uh, but I, that said, uh, you know, there are not a lot of Joe Biden bumper stickers out on the trail. Yeah, I can only imagine how much they love your uh, Clinton 16 bumper sticker on there. <laughs> exactly. Or the Gray Davis ones, right? For that matter. You know, the, the, I would say the interesting thing is, is, is you know, the, while that, that, that is, you know, there is a, you know, uh, we do have ideological differences or, or party differences. Uh, most of, of uh, you know, of the folks that I, uh, you know, that I'm out there with tend to focus on, on you know, what, what they have, what we have in common. Uh, you know, the love of out the outdoors, love of off-roading, uh, and it, that tends to supersede everything else. Uh, you know, they, you have people who have, it's, it's almost the same as, you know, um, you can be a, a LA Dodger fan or a San Francisco Giant fan, but we all still want to figure out whether we need, uh, you know, uh, 40 inch tires or, or not on your Jeep, uh, uh, whether to switch from Dana 44 axles to Dana 60 axles, uh, you know, all that's all, all sort of the other differences sort of go by the wayside when we're talking about, uh, you know, the fun we're having uh, out off-road. Well, and actually that, that leads me to the other question. So what do you drive? I mean, I know that in the car world, it's a, it's a pretty hard divide between Ford and Chevy often, but that's not necessarily the case. I don't even know that Chevy is particularly even in the running for the, for the Jeeper community. No, do you have a Suzuki Samurai or a, a 
Yeah, you know, no, I have I have a Jeep I have a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon that's uh, that's pretty well built up uh, a 2015 uh, what we call a JKU that's a, which is basically a four door Wrangler uh, and uh, you know most of most of the folks that that uh, that I wheel with that's what we call it wheeling uh, most of the folks that I wheel with are, are, are Jeepers as well. Uh, Toyota is the other big one. Uh, you know, a lot of Toyota Tacomas and and uh, uh, Toyota uh, trucks that, that that are out there. Uh, Toyota uh, four um, not forerunners the, uh, uh, the 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 FJ Cruisers and the the, the F, the, those those types. Uh, you are seeing more and more Ford Broncos now uh, with the new Bronco Raptor. They they've uh, they've uh, uh, really started to, to to perk up a little bit uh, in in uh, in the community. But for the most part, it was sort of a a Jeep versus Toyota. Uh, you know, we, we, we used to joke around, we see people, uh, with license plates that say Jeep eater, uh, you know, on a Toyota rig or, uh, you know, uh, uh taco eater, which is a Tacoma <laughs> which, uh, on Jeep rigs. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of friendly sort of competition between the, those two brands, uh, just as you would see with Ford and Chevy in the truck world. Yeah. And in the old days, I remember it was the Willys. Uh, and then I see a lot of the Willys, they get re-engined, you know, they'll still yeah. have the Willys body, but they'll have a newer, uh, you know, maybe a Ford or Chevy or, or even a Toyota engine in there. Yeah, yeah, they do. And and in fact, for example, my Jeep uh, is getting a, a, an engine swap right now. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the bigger rigs, once you sort of get a little get heavy, uh, you'll want to go to a, to a, a lot of people do the Chevy LS, which is basically a Corvette engine that, that people put in their Jeeps. Uh, but I'm doing a um, I'm adding a, a Hemi engine uh, into my Jeep uh, just to be able to, to get it up grades because it was having a hard time. Uh, with with the with all the weight that we've added to it, you know, Roger, you mentioned several places that I've spent a lot of time over the years: Death Valley, uh, the Alabama Hills, uh, the Mojave. I love the desert, mm -hmm. uh, and and a lot of those places are actually pretty accessible to vehicles that don't miss, you know aren't four wheel drives. Mm -hmm. um, though I've taken some teeth rattling trips out to the racetrack in Death Valley things like that, that I, I wouldn't really recommend doing again without, you know, with, with my Honda CRV. Yeah. But one thing that I've always noticed about the four wheel drive community that I really do appreciate as someone who spends a lot of time in the, in the, in the woods is you guys really are pretty diligent about cleaning up after yourselves. And right. I know a lot of folks think, oh, you're out there with this big old Jeep and you guys are, you know, uh, I'm, I know Ariana Huffington probably hates you with a passion. But my experience as somebody who is a pretty avid outdoors person is you, you, all of the Jeep type folks I've seen are pretty good about taking care of the environment and leaving it and taking their stuff with them. Talk a little bit about that ethos that goes into really being committed to being a Jeep person and a, you know, a Rubicon Trail person. Sure. Well, you know, we we uh, we very aggressively uh, practice the tread lightly philosophy. Um, you know, pack in what you pack out. Uh, um, you know, pack out what you pack in. Uh, you know, we we uh, um, uh, we are very strong believers in the fact that uh, if we want to if we want to keep uh, you know off roading on these trails and and uh, you know then we have to maintain them. We have to keep them clean. We have to make sure that we don't uh, widen trails. Uh, you know, when uh, uh, you know whenever we can. Um, we want we want these trails to be there for our kids. We want them to be there for our grandkids. We want them to be there for generations to come. Uh, and the only way we can do that is to take care of them. Uh, so you know, I'm part of a of a, of a Jeep club in Sacramento, the the Sierra, the Sierra Treasure Hunters Four Wheel Drive Club. 
you know, we uh, we have we have a couple of adopted trails. Uh, we've adopted a segment of the of the Rubicon Trail, the Walker Hill segment, where we'll go out and and take a look at the, a lot of the uh, the water bars and and uh, you know and, and uh, uh, clean up where it needs to be cleaned up, put rock where it needs to be rock, put rocks uh, you know logs where they need to, so that the water uh, doesn't cause erosion uh, issues. Uh, you know, we go out to uh, to other trails um, in, in the in the Sierras. Uh, you know, America House, for example, is another trail up uh, up up north that uh, that we take care of. We'll go through and sort of clean up the trails, uh, clean up the campgrounds, and and make sure that they're usable uh, for others. Uh, you know, we we, do, we just want to make sure that we can leave something uh, positive behind. We don't want to have uh, we we recognize that the, that the trails are. Um, uh, you know that that the dead the trails are dedicated uh you know for for this purpose um we don't want to use it's basically use without abuse uh you know type of philosophy that that uh, you know that uh, that that we practice and i actually believe uh you know that off-roaders especially uh you know the majority of them are are uh, bigger environmentalists than than, than even some environmentalists because we really do want to maintain it. We want to take care of it. We want to make sure it's there for generations to come. Uh, so we're going to do everything we can to to make sure that it's treated properly. Well, I really appreciate that because I mean, again, as a backpacker, uh, and I think any backcountry ranger would tell you this. I've I have hauled out more detritus that I have found mm-hmm. you know way back in at places like you know Thousand Island Lake and the Golden. Uh, trout wilderness and places that are very remote that you're only getting to basically on foot. And I've hauled out so much garbage from, from those places that backpackers leave everywhere. And so like I said, I'm pretty sensitive to it. So I, I know I appreciate the fact that you guys seem well, to be and, good about it. And, and we see stuff, for example, you know, you, you, uh, you saw out by, um, uh, you know, my fallen leaf Lake and, and Camp Richardson area of, of Lake Tahoe this past 4th of July, where, you know, you had yeah. just a massive amount of trash from, uh, uh, you know, folks who are, uh, you know, coming in from the city and, and uh, can't say the city isn't celebrating out there. I mean, we've got to we've got to sort of expand it, not just off roaders and hikers and bikers, uh, mountain bikers. Uh, but we just really have to sort of make uh, make everybody uh, conscious of the fact that, hey, we want this place is beautiful. Uh, Tahoe, the Sierra, the Sierras in their entirety, the desert. Um, you know, uh, if you want to keep it, we need to get, take care of it and, and, and maintain it. And, and uh, again, pack in, pack out what you pack in and, and, and uh, just take your trash with you, buddy. So now you actually have a place where your two worlds are intersecting, and that is that you are an off-roader. And Governor Newsom appointed you to a commission on off-road vehicles. Right. And can you talk about that and what you do there and what, what that commission does and, you know, how you bring your experiences as a person who worked in the White House and worked in the Gray Davis uh, administration, et cetera, uh, how does that all play into this commission? Yeah, the, the commission manages, you know, well, uh, the commission is, is, is uh, an oversight commission for the uh, parks, the, the, the parks department's uh, California OHMVR division. Uh, so the OHMVR off-highway motor vehicle recreation division manages a number of state vehicular recreation areas and off-road parks, uh, you know, up and down the state, uh, Hollister Hills, Prairie City. Uh, there's a there's a there's a you know a, a motocross one uh, near the Auburn uh, recreation area. Um, you know, and so we, we the, the division oversees those parks, and we uh, uh, you know oversee the division's a- actions and activities, their 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 management plans. Uh, you know, we offer uh, you know guidance and suggestions where 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 we we think it's possible. 
we're also helping with uh, um, you know with them with as they sort of cite new parks and new uh, new new uh, uh, situations. Uh, you know, we have, for example, there's there's been a very very strong push for a new OHV park in the Bay Area that's focused on you know e-bikes. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of of, of e-bikes at e you know, e-off-road equipment, uh, electric, you know, so that, so, uh, you know, we want to expand into, into those areas. And we also want to keep places open. Um, uh, right now, the, the biggest threat, uh, to uh, closure, uh, in California of an off-road uh, recreation area is Pismo beach, um, or the Oceano dunes, uh, recreation area, which the coastal commission has cited for, uh, that they, they want to see closed our division and our commission wants to see it to, to stay open. It's the oldest, OHV Park. It's the only place in California, period, where you can off-road on the beach. Uh, and um, the issue there is is a, is a very, you know, again, when, you, when, when you're in a commission like this, uh, you know, uh, you tend to think, okay, it's going to be pretty cut and dried, but there's politics involved in that as well. Um, there's, a, there's, you know, arguments over, over the science that's being used. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that dunes are created by the wind and, and, uh, uh, and that, you know, that's what's how that's, that's they're, they're dunes. I mean, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're windswept all the time. And so the dust gets blown around, um, you know, they're the uh, coastal commission believes that, that off-roaders contribute to that. And we actually saw during COVID when it was closed, uh, there was more particulate matter, uh, being blown around uh, as a result um, you know, of it being empty than there was when the off-roaders were there. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it, there is, there's a lot of, 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 of politics in the, in the off-road world, a lot more than I, than I would have thought, but you see it the same way in the, in the, on the Rubicon trail. Um, you know, you would think that everybody would be on the same page, but you have competing interests, competing groups, uh, you know, all wanting to be the caretakers of, of, of the trail uh, and, uh, and, and they don't often see, uh, see eye to eye on things, uh, um, other than they, they want to keep the trail open. You know, and that's, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm involved in old car community, which I think probably has a lot of crossover with, you know, Jeepers. In fact, I know it does. Uh, and they have the same thing with, uh, the desert raceways, you know, uh, where you go out to Bonneville and everyone involved in that community has a different idea on the best way to preserve Bonneville. Everyone wants to make sure that the salt flats stay, stay as they are as much as they can. But uh, there are a lot of different ways to approach that. And, you know, every, every person and every organization has a different attitude about it. Well, and I, and that's where I think the politic, having had the experience of working in the white house, working for the governor, uh, being politic about things and, and uh, uh, you know, and I, I try to sort of be a bridge uh, between users and and uh, you know environmentalists, um, you know I know how they both think, and uh, and I do think there's a lot of commonality there. And uh, you know if they can just sort of get past sort of the uh, uh, you know the stereotypes of each other, um, you know because I do do think that there's stereotypes of off roaders, there's stereotypes of environmentalists, uh, you know uh, Birkenstock wearers, and you know uh, you know and 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 uh, you know folks who are uh, you know tearing up the trail and i've had somebody ask you they're like oh you're one an off-roader you're one of those guys that tears up the trails and i'm like no no that's that's the exact opposite of what we want to be doing we we want we don't want to be tearing anything up uh, and there as with any group you know uh, you're going to have bad apples uh you know and i think you have them on, on you know whichever side you're 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 thinking about but uh, uh for the most part you know i've seen a very very respectful group of people who are out there when they're out and uh, uh you know engaging in in these off-road activities now, do you have you ever gotten any uh, electeds to come out with you? Did you ever get Governor Davis say, "Hey, let's go out and like roll around on the Rubicon for for an afternoon"? 
Well, I want to. I want to. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'll, I'll have an open invitation to Governor Newsom uh, to take him out on on the Rubicon or take him out to to, to Oceano Dunes and sort of see, uh, you know, how how uh, um, uh, those uh, uh, you know that that can be the community is enjoying the the area responsibly. Um, uh, that would be awesome, um, you know. And I and and I'm uh, I would open it up to anybody. So uh, I, you know, I've taken uh, you know friends of mine in the capital community out on on the trail. Um, and, and again, they're just amazed by it. The, the thing that amazes me, uh, you know, and, and Rich, you can you you can attest to this as a hiker, and 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 Tim, you as well, and some of the activities that you were involved in. Sometimes it's that you know it's uh, you know the activity itself, right? We're off roading, great, but it's getting to a place that not many people get to get to, whether it's a ridge, uh, you know, a, a summit, um, you know, uh, just, you know, and take in the, sort of the view. It just, it, it, you forget about how impressive California is until you get out to some of these spots and you're just like, wow, uh, you know, rivals anything that, that uh, you know, that you see in, in, you know, in any other part of the world. It's just a, an amazing place to be. And if you, and if it takes a mountain bike or it takes a grueling hike, or if it takes, a, you know, uh, arduous off-roading to get there, um, you know, it, and it makes it almost feel that much um, more of an accomplishment when you actually see it. Yeah, I actually agree uh, wholeheartedly with that. And, and you know, I know a lot of folks who spend a lot of time in the outdoors, they really don't like the other groups, right? You're on a trail, you don't want to run into a mountain bike, or you don't want to run into somebody on a horse, or, you know, the horse people don't want to run into the, the guy in the Jeep, and on and on and on. And I, I, I've always struggled with that to some extent. I've never had problems with other people using it. It's a finite resource and we should be able to share it. The ticket, of course, as always, everybody having the individual responsibility to hold up their end and take care mm -hmm. of it. As you noted, leave no trace as best you can. Um, if we all did that, regardless of how we were enjoying the outdoors, uh, you know, that scene we saw from Zephyr Cove would not be the norm. And I, and I don't think it's the norm that that one was, that was just that ridiculous. Modeling. Yeah. But anyway, that's a whole other issue, but, but yeah. I, no, I, and, it, and it's, and you're right. Cause, it, cause it's funny. Cause you know, uh, off-roaders, especially Jeepers, uh, we tend to be very slow. We're, 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 we call it rock crawling, right? Because we're crawling around on the, on the rocks. Uh, you know, you get the side-by-sides, uh, which are zippier and faster and, you know, get out of the way, old man. You know, we want to we, we want to get through, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, and then, you know, the 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 one that that sort of uh, um, always concerns me is, is uh, um, you know, when when you have uh, when you have hikers on the trail, um, you know, you, you really have to be mindful of the fact that uh, and, and I, I think I am uh, when I come across a hiker coming the other direction, slow down to keep the dust down because, you know, there's nothing worse than, than being hiking than hiking out there and having a, a, a you know a, a rig blast past you and just blow dust so you can't you're breathing basically a, a you know trail for the next uh, 15 minutes until the dust settles back down. So um, it, it, you're right. It, it's it's all about respecting each other, Rich, and uh, out on the trail and and uh, we can all do that. We, we'll all be able to enjoy it. Roger, we got to we got to spread the word to the motorcycle guys, to, to yeah. the off road dirt bike guys. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back on something. I said I'm gonna pick on them. You are the guys that need to slow down and pay attention to where you're going because I've been yeah. out on trails and had those guys come flying around the corner. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I was uh, my you know I was I had a group of people out in Uray, Colorado um, last year, and we had a one of our uh, one of my cousin actually and his jeep uh, um, uh, died on him uh, at the top of of um, Ophir Pass. 
Um, and so we had to basically uh, jury rig a, uh, you know, I strapped him. Uh, I was in front of him, strapped his Jeep to mine, had another friend behind him with a, with a kinetic rope uh, serving as a brake basically, and got him down all of the, the uh, switchbacks, you know, all, you know, 10,000 or so feet of, of Ophir Pass. Uh, and we had motorcyclists come around that I almost decapitated with the, with the, with the, with the rope because they just weren't paying attention and they just want to fly by you. So um, yeah, that, I, I will share that, uh, Rich. Um, slow down, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. make, sure, make sure you take it. They're bold, man. They're, they're very, very brave. And, um, you know, but they, they slow down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Help, help us all. Uh, help us all out a little bit. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be in the middle of a bad situation out there. And, and, you know, it, you know, you guys are smart. You don't ever, you don't ever go alone, right? But, uh, yeah, we always go with groups. Some of these folks, you know, I mean, I, I think they forget how easy it is to get in a lot of trouble in the woods and then have to figure out how you're going to get yourself out. So, well, the other thing, too, is that we've done a lot of, of, of you know, rescues out, out, out uh, you know, we had one, uh, uh, you know, a young couple who decided they wanted to snow snow wheel uh, on Wentworth Springs Road um, in a in a uh, in a pickup, a little mini pickup truck that wasn't really capable of, of doing what they wanted it to do. Uh, they had spent the night out there and we, we, we ran across them um, after they had hiked out for about three miles down Wentworth Springs Road, uh, Ice House Road, uh, picked them up, went and, uh, um, and, and, you know, got their truck out. Um, but, you know, th those things can be fatal if, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you're not taking care of it, they, they weren't equipped for spending the night in the snow. And uh, luckily they ran across us and we were able to get them out. Yeah, that's great. Well, that is one other thing too. I've never once seen any of you guys ever not help somebody. So yeah, no, it, we actually get a kick out of it. So <laughs> it becomes part of it's a, it's a it's another cool story to, to tell. Uh, you know, rescuing rescuing another vehicle or pulling somebody out. It's sort of a, a you know a, a badge of honor. <laughs> you know, if you you know, it's a, it's it's a cool feeling. You know, I have to say that's actually very true. That one of the things that's the best when you take those sorts of trips where you're out in the middle of nowhere is the unexpected things that happen to you, you know, the people you'll meet or even things going wrong. You know, again, as a guy who spent most of my life driving really old cars, yeah. uh, you know, having a, your car break down in the middle of the middle of nowhere and you figure out how to get it fixed and you meet someone else. It's like, it ends up being a much better story than if you would have just driven there and, and reached the hotel without any problems. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the unexpected stuff that, that, uh, that makes it uh, worthwhile. Well, Roger, thank you so much for coming on. And and I encourage anyone who is interested in this to go onto your Twitter feed because Roger posts, uh, he does post some very pithy comments about politics and policy. However, there are a lot of really amazing photos of him looking like he's almost upside down on the Jeep. I'm going to tell you that uh, Tim and Rich, uh, uh, you know, um, I have uh, two Instagram accounts, my, my own personal account at Roger Salazar. But uh, my Jeep account at Jeep number seven at, at Jeep no seven has more followers than I do uh, and uh, gets a lot more attention than I do. Uh, and that's where you can see all the exploits of uh, of, of my rig. It's uh, at Jeep number seven on Instagram. Well, there you go. There, there's your next follow, people. Go check it out right now. All right. So so were you in threads yet, uh, Roger? We haven't even talked oh, about yeah. threads. Yeah, no, I'm on threads. Got on there pretty quick at Roger Salazar. <laughs> all right. Well, Roger, thanks so much for talking about this, and uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on for you uh, out on the trail. Sounds good, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thanks, Roger. Take care. Be Bye. safe out there. We will. All right. Well, uh, big thanks to Roger Salazar. That was a lot of fun. Who knew? You know, you you know people for all these years in this game, and then 
you know, decades in, you learn something completely new about him. I, I had no idea Roger was so deeply involved in that kind of a hobby, but uh, it was a lot of fun talking to him about it. Well, that can only mean one thing, though. It's time for our favorite section of the show and the favorite section, apparently, of a lot of people who listen to this podcast, which is who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Well, Tim, you know, as always, we have multiple possibilities. And with our legislature uh, now in recess, the opportunities for them to do something and create a a Reggie Jones-Sawyer kind of bad week uh, have been mitigated. So, uh, but there's no, there's no shortage. We we certainly have uh, some. Uh, and as always, we like to start with the, not the winner, but the, you know, some of the folks that we talked about. I think one of the ones uh, certainly uh, that we were talking about, there was some really interesting goings on uh, at Stanford University this week, correct? Very, very. Uh, I don't know. We're kind of, we're edging on whether or not this is political, but I think really, you know, the president of Stanford, Stanford is, that's a political position, whether you want it to be or not. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely a political uh, position. And if, and if you haven't, if you haven't seen it, uh, university president Mark, uh, and I hope I'm saying this right, Tessier Levine, uh, he resigned Wednesday uh, after there was a review of the scientific integrity of several research papers he co-authored and it forced them to retract, I think, three of the 12 so far that are under review. And the really interesting thing about all that is this all started with stories from uh, the, uh, the Stanford newspaper written by a 17-year-old college freshman and a few of a uh, few other students there. So, you know, maybe the power of youth. But uh, I believe you said he's not even sure he's going to go into journalism, correct? Yeah. And, you know, both of his parents are journalists. Uh, Forgive me, I don't remember which outlets they work for. I think one works for the New York Times. And uh, of course, there was somebody, somebody tagged him and said, oh, you're a you're a nepotism, baby. You're you're only getting this attention because your parents are reporters. And and the kid quipped, well, hey, my parents haven't won a George Polk Award, but I have. Right. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, So that's one candidate for sure. Uh, you know, there's also the ongoing drama down in Antioch with uh, the police chief there. As we saw, uh, it was uh, Stephen Ford is the chief, and he was brought in specifically from the San Francisco Police Department last year uh, after the FBI had gotten involved uh, with uh, a probe into several officers and to all kinds of alleged crimes that had allegedly occurred under the watch of all these former chiefs and uh, you know they had texts and other things revealed a lot of racism and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so Stephen Ford was brought in specifically to clean up this mess and uh, that didn't work out did it Tim no it's been i think he's been there about 8 or 9 months and it the scandals just keep opening up to add another layer to this onion uh the racist texts are really pretty horrible i mean just you, you read these and it's just hard to believe this is happening in 2023, or maybe it's not, but it's hard, hard for me to picture this, you know, professional police officers uh, trading these deeply racist texts. And Ford is a black man who is now on the hook for trying to solve this. And he's stepping down. He, I think August 11th is going to be his last day. And I, I think I read a 
a public statement that he gave saying, well, there's, you know, other things I'd like to do with my personal time and my career. And I read that and I thought, I'll bet there are. I'll bet there are a lot of things you'd rather be doing than dealing with this. So uh, it may be the worst week for Antioch, but I'm sure he's kind of glad to be washing his hands of this. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the speculation, of course, is that what he really discovered is that the problems are so intractable, so unsolvable that that's why it wasn't worth his time there. You know, what that he could, and, and this is conjecture on our part. We don't know. Clearly he, he's decided this is not a hill he wants to die on, so to speak. And so he's, he's going to step away from it. Um, but it does lead to an awful lot of speculation about, you know, just how deeply ingrained is the issue that he was trying to confront there. And I, I really pity the next person who has to come in and try to pick up the ball and run with it now, because it certainly seems like it's going to be uh, a really sig- significant problem to deal with. So. Yeah, and that's bad. I would say my argument, however, is that our winner for the worst week this week in California politics is Congressional Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who has been a, a winner for us before. Uh, and, you know, with a very deeply divided caucus, uh, this is not that surprising that he would have these sorts of problems. This time, however, he's really getting it from both sides. He's getting it from his caucus. And then he's also getting it from former President Trump. And there was a story that Politico broke, uh, Rachel Bade, I, I believe I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Rachel Bade broke a story this week that McCarthy had angered Trump by refusing to endorse him early, saying, hey, you know, we're in the middle of a primary. I can't endorse you early. Uh, That would be inappropriate. Really pissed Trump off by saying that. And so to placate him, he agreed to hold a vote on expunging the two votes to impeach President Trump. Now, Many people say, uh, to quote the former president, many people say that's not even something you could do via the Constitution. Uh, there's no no place in the Constitution about expend, expunging a uh, an impeachment vote. But the president wants this done. A lot of his really fervent supporters within McCarthy's caucus want to hold this vote. And a whole bunch of people who are more middle-of-the-road Republicans who are maybe in districts that Biden won really don't want to have that vote. And then there's also a tiny sliver of people, Republicans, who support the former president, who would love to have this vote expanded, but think he's going to lose. That if it goes up for a vote, that he'll actually lose the vote and that would be embarrassing. So McCarthy is now getting it. There's actually a really good piece of audio. He was he was interviewed by a reporter on the, in the Capitol and they asked him about it. There's no deal, but I've been very clear. From long before when I voted against... Uh, impeachments that they could do for purely political purposes. I support expungement, but there's no deal out there. And uh, um. and you can hear him uh, sort of equivocating there and not really giving a clear answer. I don't think Kevin McCarthy is having a good week. No, I, you know, I think anytime you have to deal with the crazy aspects of his caucus, it's not a good week. And, you know, I... I don't have a lot of sympathy for Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I, you know, I, Kevin Kevin McCarthy, uh, 
we we've we've talked about him quite a bit on this on this podcast before you know a lot during of course when his millions and millions of votes that it took to get him finally one that would um, make him house speaker and of course i'm exaggerating there but you know he knew what he was getting into with these people and for some reason he still wanted this job and I don't know, maybe maybe he just won a lifetime supply of Tums or something to deal with the heartburn these people cause him, but it's nonstop. It, 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 you know, he's got to deal with the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses and the Steve Scalises. And, you know, and look, I'm sorry to all my Republican friends, but you wouldn't want to deal with these people either. That's that's the bottom line. I think, you know, these people thrive on getting the kind of attention that's not conducive to anybody of any party trying to get policy done and trying to get something positive done because they thrive on all of this attention and you know, media clicks. You well, know. to defend Kevin McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy has spent his entire career carefully stepping up the ladder, starting out in the California State Assembly, uh, you know, right down the street from where we're sitting today. And he was very effective there, was was rookie of the year for the California Journal when he came in and ultimately ended up going to Congress and becoming majority leader. And he's clearly got ambition and somebody had to take that job. It's not like they were going to have a speaker. So I'm sure that he thought, hey, I've I've been successful the rest of my life doing this, dealing with my caucus. I understand my colleagues. I'm going to be the person that's going to be best be equipped to handle this. And frankly, he may be. I don't know who else uh, in their caucus would have been better equipped to deal with what is a very deeply divided group of Republicans, all the way from, you know, quote unquote, rhinos to uh, the, the Matt Gateses of the world. And some Republican had to go up there and become the speaker. And so I think... He did that. And I will say that I actually thought that he handled the shutdown, uh, the dance with Biden more effectively than I had expected, given how much trouble he had even getting the election. You know, I think it was, what, 17 votes to get to get this, the gavel. Uh, so he's done, I think, better than some critics would have led us to believe. And this is a case where this is a problem of his own making because he told President Trump, that he would hold this vote. He didn't need to say that. I'm sure that it got uh, the president off his back in the immediate moment, but now he's got this hanging over him and somebody's going to be angry with him. Uh, and my guess is at the end of the day, all sides are going to be angry with him, you know, except for the Democrats who are probably laughing, laughing about this because they just know it's, it's kind of a disaster no matter which way it goes. But when I say I have no sympathy for him, I, I, I mean, seriously, he knew what he was getting into with these people. And um, really, he could be the perpetual worst week in California politics because of, just because of that. And I don't know what comes out of all this. I do know this. It cannot be any fun to deal with the caucus in the way that it is right now. And yeah, I'll give him all the credit in the world. Whatever his motivations, he's at least sticking his face into that fan blade so someone else doesn't. <laughs> so there you go. Good good luck to him. You know, uh, like I say, I I just hope he's got plenty of uh, heartburn meds because I I think those folks are um, 
they are just a, a, a never ending supply of, of, uh, acid reflux, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, I got to say, I think if this does ultimately come up for a vote anytime soon, uh, we're likely to be revisiting him and his worst week status again, because I just think that that has the potential to be an utter disaster for the Republicans. I mean, yeah, well, and, and, you know, before we let this go, I mean, you've said it, but I, I want to really, I agree with you here. He's really caught between a rock and a hard place. And that's, that is what makes this him became the, the winner this week, because he's caught between Trump and his caucus and then the rational side of his caucus, which there are plenty of. There are plenty of rational Republicans. Um, they're not the ones out there screaming on social media and doing all the outlandish stuff to get attention. But they have power, too. So I don't envy him. It's a tough job. But again, he asked for it. <laughs> well, careful what you ask for. You got it. And, uh, you know, what it has earned him, the, the prize is to be a multi-time winner of who had the worst week in California politics. We have elevated Kevin McCarthy to the highest pedestal in the land. You know, I don't I don't know that he's won the most times. That would be a good question. Somebody will make an intern list all these episodes and, and figure out who won the worst week the most times. I don't know who that would be, but McCarthy's got to be in the running. By the way, you know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is our 300th episode right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's probably one of what, 290 times then? <laughs> I, I joke, I joke, I joke, I can't. Of course not. All right, Rich. Well, uh, we will we'll talk to you next week. I'm sure we'll have, well, I'm not sure. We'll likely we'll have a new candidate for worst week, California politics next week. Well, I, I will say that I'll leave it with this. If I don't finish getting all of the write-ups done for the for the Cap Weekly Top 100 for uh, August, the worst week might be me. That's true. <laughs> that is true. All, all right, right. Rich, we'll see you next week. All right, Tim. Thanks. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.